It's a Friday edition. It's an Ask LOJ edition. Wenga Sensabaugh and Hendricks, that guy. <laughs> wow, brain dead already. Hendricks, come up. What trades can we make? What's our 20-game takeaway? When do we know where we're heading? All of those, plus we debut points gained, and hopefully my brain works today. It is locked on jazz. You are locked on jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Your sleep, you did not sleep long enough, but your sleep was continuous. However, you may find yourself slow and have poor recovery and be groggy. Well, my watch is right. How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA Insider. This is Locked on Jazz. It's an Ask LOJ edition, which is one of my favorites. You guys do a wonderful job of sending in great questions. Hit the pulse of what all Jazz fans want to know. So we will hit those coming up. What point does the coach make the decision to bring in Bryce and Hendricks over the non-rookies? What are the permutations of the pick we owe from OKC? Uh, Are you concerned about the blowouts this year? Is there a trade out there? What point do we know our direction? What expiring contracts clearing space? Looking back at some old trades, did we actually get enough? Uh, Coach Hardy, is he, how does he not lose the locker room? Is he too young? Um, We'll look at that uh, and kind of aspects of a rebuild and uh, then some fun questions to wrap up. Plus, we debut points gained today, which is my offensive metric, exclusive to Locked on Jazz. Uh, that looks at players and we'll see who's having what impact 20 games into an NBA season. I am David Locke, radio voice of Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider, and this is Locked on Jazz. It's your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz, giving you insight, expertise, geeky numbers, and hopefully making it way better to be a Jazz fan each and every day. Thank you so much for making Locked on Jazz your first listen of the day. We are free. I mean, we are available on all podcasting apps as well as on youtube thank you so much for being for all of you out there that are everydayers to locked on jazz today's show is brought to you in part by our friends over at game time uh game time is the official ticket app of locked on download the game time app create an account use the code locked on nba for twenty dollars off your first purchase hit that bell button by the way you get notified every time we premiere uh, if you're on youtube do that so then you know every time we, we bring the show up and we come here. All right, let's get right to it. There's no need to waste time. I love uh, your guys' impact that point. And, you know, on a year like this where there, there's going to be more losing than winning, I, I do appreciate, like, those of you. I hope you know this. Like, we're, we're bonded here. We're doing this together, and it's, uh, I super appreciate you taking the time uh, to be a part of the show and make it a part of your regular day and still stay with the community because it's, it's easy to jump off. All right, at what point does Coach make the decision to play rookies Bryce Sensabaugh and Taylor Hendricks over non-rookies? And this is from Jazz Nation, who always does a great job. I mean, if the Jazz continue to lose games, why not let the rookies play? All right, number one question on everyone's mind. So if we're losing games and we're in the developmental stage, which we are, no question. I'm not, I'm, I'm not, like, I'm kind of over that. We'll get to that in a second. The primary most important thing at this point is the development of our players and their improvement in their route. So Lowry learning, you know, more one-on-one skills, developing in from a top 30 player to a top 20 player, Keontae, um, you know, dealing and learning and figuring it out on a daily basis that, that we get to watch, which is, which is kind of cool. Um, and then sent, and then Hendricks really is probably the next one. 
And then Sensabaugh, I think we – I love Bryce Sensabaugh draft. Let me be really clear. He's one of our numbers gems. And our number gems are doing really well in the draft. Um, or in the NBA right now. But um, he's also like a 28th pick in the draft. Those players sometimes pan out, sometimes don't. So there's like – like let him have his time. So my first thing is actually – the most important thing at this point is what's best for Taylor Hendricks and what's best for Bryce Sensible and their development, irrelevant of the team. Like, so ignore the Utah Jazz and just solely think about Bryce Sensible and Taylor Hendricks. And I think it's better for Bryce Sensible and Taylor Hendricks to be playing 29 or 30 minutes a night in the G League right now. They're both averaging 29.4 minutes. They've only played eight games. Their number, you can look at their numbers. I don't I don't know what their numbers like really mean. Sense of only taking one free throw game as a guard's like, okay, like you probably need to learn how to play with some contact. Like, um, sense of seven rebounds are really eye-opening. Like, oh wow, like a rebounding guard, those are super important. Um, but I think it's actually better for them to play 20, 25, 30 games in the G League and then start to and maybe in the meantime, like the G League does some interesting things. You'll see that they don't play on a lot of nights the Jazz play. They do this Saturday, but very rarely do they both play on the same night. And so I actually think the most important thing is actually what it is for them, right? Does that make sense? So you can – the way you phrase that, Jazz Nation, I think it's great. Like at what point, because we're not playing – the Jazz are losing games. Why not let them play? I, I take the other approach. Put Have them in the G League, which I always thought is where they all would start. Um, Keontae probably not as much. He just was more adapted and ready, and particularly the guys who didn't get any summer league. And when they're ready, then bring them up. Yes. And then once they're ready, then we can start to do these things. But I think it should be driven by Sensabaugh and Hendricks' development, not by the Jazz team. You don't want to suddenly throw Sensabaugh and Hendricks into a bad circumstance because the rest of the team's failing. That, that's backwards at this point. Um, all right. What are your permutations of the pick we owe Oklahoma City? What's the idea whether to play it if you're the front office? This is super complicated, and this is actually – Probably one of the primary questions that is out there. So here's how it works. This year, the pick is top 10 protected. So if we finish in the top 10, which is where we're trending right now of draft picks, we get the pick. And frankly, at some point in this process, we don't want to screw around with this. So if the draft were tomorrow, we would be the fifth pick of the draft. We could very easily become the seventh pick of the draft. And you really want to make sure you don't become the eighth or ninth and then suddenly get bumped in a lottery to 11 and lose the pick. You'd hate to lose the pick to 11. So that's the that's what I would say. So there is some level here where, I hate to say it, like you do want to make sure that you're like five or six at some point in the process to make sure you're not going to accidentally give up that pick. Then the problem is, as long as this pick is what's called encumbered, we can't trade a future pick. So there's encumberment on 2024, then there's still encumberment on 2025 and 2026 which means I don't think we can trade our first-round draft pick until we, can, we can't trade our 2028 pick, which is a pick swap with Cleveland. So, And I believe if you trade your pick, you lose your pick swap. right? makes sense. If you don't have something to swap, you can't swap. So it, it, it does encumber us a little bit. On the other end, we don't really want to ever trade our 2028 pick if we think we're going to be worse, better than Cleveland by 2028, and we don't really want to trade our 2029 pick on the same thing uh, or no, 2028 is the year we don't really want to trade because of the fact that it's a pick swap. And so there is this thing you'd like to get out from under this pick because if we get out of this pick, then we can suddenly trade future first-round picks. Um, 2025, 
it's again top 10 protected. So if we're not going to be better than top 10 again, then we get the pick again. In 2025, we also get Cleveland's and we also get Minnesota's. We're, we're less, like we probably don't have to have a 2025 pick. We have two other come, but Minnesota will still be good. Cleveland, I'm not as sure. Watched their loss last night. Um, 2026, it's top eight protected. If we don't use it then, I think it becomes a sec- it becomes a second round pick. So there is an argument, like if you're just worried about that pick, we should be bottom 10 this year, which we're heading toward. Bottom 10 next year, which actually seems feasible again without a lot of difficulty. And then 2026, a third year of it after that, just to hold on to that pick. Um, at some point, you also just decide you'd like to get unencumbered by that pick. Um, and if we, you know, 2025, if we suddenly don't use it, then we can trade our 2026 pick and we could trade our 2027 pick. Um, so that's the way it works. And the pick swaps do make it a little bit more complicated than it wouldn't be otherwise. Thank you, Jazz Fan UK. Shane, do you find it concerning that we're getting blown out a lot this year? So can, I, I could do the kind of Quinn Snyder, you have to, you have to ask Quinn Snyder questions and you have to be really careful because if you use the wrong word um, at any point in time, Quinn Snyder would kind of jump on it. So concerning, I, no, I'm not concerned by it at all. Um, I do think it's telling. So I've always been a really big believer in looking at who's up 15 and who's down 15 the most in the league. And that tells me a little bit about where you are. So we have been down for the th- by 15 or more by the third most amount of minutes of anyone in the NBA. Only Washington, who's trailed by 15 for 1,026 minutes. That's combined, divided by five, actually, the way this was. So that's actually um, – they do all their player minutes. This is kind of a silly stat. So they've been down by 15 for 205 minutes this season. They've been down the most. San Antonio's been down 15 um, next. And then we've trailed by 15 or more so far this year in uh, about 200 minutes, I think it is. Let me, no, actually about 178 minutes um, in 10 games. Um, I, I think it's very telling about where you are. I'm not like that. I also think like if we flip this around the other way, if you want to ask me right now, so I would, I think the best team in the NBA is Boston. I think the second best thing I've, team I've seen is Phoenix. I think Minnesota is probably the third best I've, team I've seen right now. I would guess if I look right now, and then Philadelphia is probably the next best team. I would guess those are the four teams that have led by the 15 or more the most in the NBA. Boston, Minnesota, Orlando, super interesting. And the Clippers. Wow. Okay, that's surprising to me. Like Boston, Minnesota is not surprising to me. But Orlando, the third most amount of teams, it's led by 15. And the Clippers, and then the Pels and the Thunder, and then the Sixers and the Suns. That's that's really eye-opening. The teams that have – the Charlotte Hornets have not led by 15 all year. Detroit, Memphis, Chicago are on the bottom. We've actually led by 15 more than the Warriors have this year. We've only done it three times. We've actually led by 15 more than Cleveland has this year. So, yes, I think blowouts are really good indicators of what's going on. Um, so it does, not, does it concern me? I don't know. Do I think it's a really good indicator? Yes, Shane. So I think that's a really solid uh, question on your part uh, on this. Uh, thank you very much. Great question, Shane. Still to come. We're just getting started. Is there a trade out there that makes sense? Um, at what point is it clear our direction, Brady? Uh, Zach wants to know about expiring contracts in space. Um, Craig wants to know about an old past trade and whether we maybe made a mistake. Um, 
Josh wants to know his biggest takeaway from 20 games in the season. And Alex wants to know about how Coach Hardy holds his team together. And then points game after that. So we're still just getting started. Thanks so much for making Locked On Jazz your first listen of the day. It's Locked On Jazz. It's your team every day. Today's show is brought to you by our friends over at Murdoch Hyundai, located at 4646 South State Street, also located in Logan and Linden. Saw Blake the other day, saw Ben, the Murdochs were in the arena. I love it. Those guys just are good dudes. And that's what the Murdochs are. They're just a really good Utah family, over 80 years of working with customers in Utah, making sure that they give you the best experience they possibly can and make sure that you leave with what they like to say is no regrets. Like it's actually not a marketing slogan, it's a family slogan. We're going to have no regrets. I remember during COVID when they weren't upcharging people, Blake's like, I'm just not going to be walking into churches, grocery stores, and events and see people who we like took an extra thousand dollars from because the cri- there was a crisis going on. It's not who we are. And the Hyundai is an amazing car uh, with the little Kona to the Palisade to the Santa Fe's, which we have two, an amazing electric, the Ionic and the Ionic 5 and 6. Make sure you check it all out at Hyundai. If you're going to stop by, feel free to email me first. I would love to give you the locked on VIP experience that every day is earned and deserved by being a part of this show. So please email me at dlock09 at gmail.com. We'll set you up with the everyday experience over at Murdoch Hyundai. Today's show is also brought to you by Game Time. It's the official ticketing app of Locked On. And if you use the code Locked On NBA, you get $20 off. Why Game Time? Well, I could give you a few different reasons. I've used Game Time before. I'm looking at Chris Stapleton and Grace Potter at Hollywood Bowl this June. Oh my gosh. I love Grace Potter. I love Chris Stapleton. What a combo. He had the Hollywood Bowl. Pretty awesome. Uh, yeah, it's going to cost me a little bit. But if I do it with Game Time, here's what I know. I see a view from my seats before I buy, so I know exactly what to expect when I arrive. All my in, all in pricing shows the total up front, so I know I have a great deal with no hidden fees. And I buy the tickets in seconds with just two taps, so I don't have to worry about that. Plus, I can get exclusive deals. I can get zone deals, late on deals, um, and all of that. So you can go to Game Time app and create an account. Use the code LOCKEDONNBA and get $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account. Redeem with LOCKEDONNBA for $20 off. Download the Game Time app. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Thanks very much for making Locked on Jazz your first listen of the day. Maybe Locked on NBA Big Board starts to be a part of your rotation. We will also send you to Locked on Sports today at the end of the show. If you're on YouTube, Locked on Sports today is uh, a uh, our 24-7 stream. By the way, I don't know if you caught it. It's late in the year, but we did a great show this year called Locked on College Football Kickoff. And with all the conference games, uh, Alex and Drake and Kenton did a fabulous show. I watched it yesterday. So if you're interested in that. All right, let's get back to your questions. You guys are the best. I so appreciate it. If I can leave five-star reviews for you, I'm telling you, I would. That, I'll tell you that right there. Um, I would certainly do that. Um, so Dan wants to know, is there a trade out there that makes sense in getting the Jazz back into the playoff mix this year? So I guess the first question is a little bit like, what's the value of getting back in the playoff mix other than that you and I are competitive and every single time we play a game and Will Hardy's super competitive and every single time we play a game, we want to win. Um, that would be the value of getting back in the playoff mix. Um, I think the most important things are Lowry, Keontae, Walker, Ochai, and what their development is. And then whether or not it's an opportunity for Talon and Colin and John Collins and I don't know anyone I'm forgetting to show that they that they are that they've made a jump and that they're ready to go and that they can be a part of this thing for the future, um, and that they you know that they're that their superpowers are parlaying into NBA skills, um, and I don't know that I necessarily think getting back into the playoff mix is helps any of those things take place. So 
I'm not sure there's something right now, unless it's franchise changing, that I would give up an asset for. Now, there are a bunch of these players who get on second drafts. In other words, they were drafted by their team. They didn't really pan out. Jalen Smith in Indiana is a good example. He's having a great year. He's a really good player. with top 10 pick. Phoenix gave up on him. Can we find some of those guys? Can we find some the next versions of the Colin Sexton? Colin Sexton is an example of that, of Kalen Horton Tuckers, who in their current situation, it's not totally working out. Can we put them in our situation and see whether or not we might find something there? And those are the kind of trades that I think I would be interested in, but I'm not sure they're trades that vault us back into the playoff mix. At what point is the direction clear the Jazz are ahead of the season? Is it about developing winning games, tanking for the draft? I feel like the fan base, we don't know. So I I feel you. The John Collins trade, which was really getting to kick the tires on someone for free, um, when you also, like, remember, there's a new rule in the NBA that you have to have a certain amount of salary. Um, they, they, one of the biggest changes to the collective bargaining agreement is you, you have to have a certain amount of salary on your roster every year. And so I'm not entirely sure, but we might have needed the $25 million of salary also just to make sure that we hit the right numbers. And he does have, you know, he does have two more years left after this year, 26, and then a player option. So you're kicking the tires on John Collins. He's young, his age matched to, to where our franchise is at 26 with our primary players, Collins 25, Lowry's 26. Taylor's 23, Taylor, Ochai, Ochai's 23, Keontae Taylor, you know, Bryce are 20, Walker's 22. Like, he he fit. And so you kick the tires on that. And, but I understand that it made everyone think we were, like, trying to make a playoff run that we were all in. Um, and so I think that that was a confusion. But I, I would say at this point, I do feel like it's it's fairly clear. You know, like, little, some of the data's, like, there. I strongly believe in 20-game data. Um if you're 20 games into the season, I think that's who you are. Like, don't fool yourself anymore. I think it's a good enough sample size. I think Boston's the best team in the NBA. Uh, I'm reluctant to give it to Oklahoma City because I just can't believe they're the second best shooting team in the league, but they are. Minnesota's going to be, the, I think, going to be the one seed in the East. They're in the West. They're that good. Um, like, I listened to Doris Burke and Zach Lowe. Philadelphia is better than Milwaukee. Like, the data shows it. And we're, right now, the fifth, sixth worst differential in the NBA. Like, we're 25th offensively and 26th defensively. I, I think it's clear. And now it's about those things we just talked about. Like, what pieces can we develop? What pieces grow? How Keontae's had amazing experiences. Like, if you go and look at some of our really good players and Kelly Olenek and Jordan Clarkson, those guys have had almost no clutch time in their career. Like, very few time players get to finish final five minutes of games every night. And last year, Lowry and Jordan and Kelly, pretty veteran players, were all doing it at a different level of their career. For Keontae to lead a team through clutch games on a nightly basis is important. Now we got to be good enough to be in clutch games. But um, so I think that's really, I think that's where we are at this point. Um, and I, if, you know, that's part of a long, it's a long tail. Like we talked about this a lot last year, and then we, we fell in love with it, didn't have to deal with it, which is like there's three ways to look at night to night season long and then prolonged 36 month windows. Like we're back into a 36 month, 48 month window by which to look at our team, which is hard. Cause I thought Will said it last night, right? Like everyone's competitive and the minute the ball goes up, we want to win. And every time we turn on the television and we spend the time to root for our team, we want to win. And that's why, like, I think, you know, and, and so then instead you get kind of upset when you don't, I got it. Um, but I only played really, really well for like most of the game last night. Did a lot of things really well. And then there were just two really bad handoffs in the third quarter. It just kind of slipped away from us uh, against a really good team, the number one team. 
what's more likely for our expiring contracts, keeping them to clear space or trading them to upgrade our roster with no longer contractual obligations? So this goes back to something that, and this is a great question from Zach. He's always been really loyal. That's an everyday right there. Um, that, and our expiring contracts, by the way, are Kelly Olenek, Taylor Horton-Tucker, um, Simone is a restricted free agent, so I don't think that's – and Chris Dunn um, and Lucas Amelich is, I think, a Jan, middle of January guarantee day, um, and so is Omer. Um, so really, you're talking about our, our expiring contracts truly are Kelly Olenek and Taylor Horton-Tucker. Um, a little bit of what the market says. So if you trade 12, if you trade Kelly, you probably have to bring back 12 million also. So you have to find 12 million that you're willing to have on your books. Um, and the same in Kalen's at about 11. Um, those are really our only two expiring contracts. Um, if somebody wants John Collins, they have to be willing to pay 26.5 each of the next two years. And if somebody wants Jordan, it's 14 million for the next three, which is a pretty reasonable number. Um, and then Collins 18 for two more after this one, I think. Um, so those are not expiring. So it's just those two. Um, and that's, a, but I, one of the things I think that I was heading toward here, Zach, is that with this new rules that you have to have a certain amount of money on your books every day, every, like how Joe Ingles got like 12 million is I think that frankly, they had to, they had to go give them, give Joe Ingles 12 million because they needed, Orlando needed to fill up cap space. Um, you just, there's a bottom seal, uh, bottom, uh, basement by which you can have, that you have to have a salary or else you're paying that money into a pool for the rest of the league and none of your players benefit. So you might as well fill it up. And so you, you actually have to be a little careful that if you go trade a bunch of guys for cap space, you have to be able to fill it. Um, so, but, you know, you can go try to kick the tires on someone or make a trade for someone as well with that. Uh, how would you classify the Conley, Knob, Beasley, Vanderbilt, two second rounders trade? I thought it was a huge failure, even more so now. I know the reason was to get worse, but they gave up three starters. Um, so a little bit is what, we were a little hamstrung at the time because that's the moment we were going to trade those guys, right? Like we were trading Jared Vanderbilt to open up space for Walker Kessler. We were trading Malik Beasley to open up space for Ochai Baji. We were trading Mike Conley um, because we were trading Mike Conley because he had he was an asset. And then Nikhil Alexander-Walker is the really interesting one. Like I'm super curious to know the inner workings of Minnesota like really want him because he's really good um, and a good player and and – was kind of on a timeline that matched what we wanted, but they may have said, we're not doing the deal without him. Um, and he, they may have wanted him instead of others. So we got a first round draft pick from the Lakers that's protected. Um, and it's time will tell. So the first one is if the Lakers somehow become terrible and that becomes a second round draft pick for us, then honestly, yes, then it's just like a super big bummer. Um, there's no way to like know that, right? So we have the Lakers 2027 pick, it's top four protected. If it turns out to be like the 27th pick of the draft, it's probably not a great trade. If it turns out to be the 15th pick of the draft, it's a really good trade. If it turns out to be the 7th pick of the draft, it's an unbelievable trade. And you don't know that. That's the gamble you're taking. If you isolate the pieces of that, Malik Beasley wasn't bringing you anything back other than second-round picks. And like He actually ended up not playing a lot for the Lakers. Milwaukee's super thin. That's why he's playing right now. Jared Vanderbilt wasn't bringing you back much other than the second round pick, isolated. So if you isolate those guys, they weren't bringing – Mike Conley was the only one that was bringing you back something in that trade. And Mike Conley brought you back a first-round draft pick in 2027 that's 5 through 30 protected on a really good franchise, but whose best players also will be older – will be considerably older by then. Like LeBron should not be on the Lakers in 2027. They may have acquired someone else because they're Lakers. They also have a tendency to be terrible. 
I'm much more concerned the Lakers can be top four protected and we lose the pick and then get a second round pick. So I don't know. You can look at his three starters, but yeah, I think you have to look at like that was the moment to make that trade, and that's the market value that was there um, for that. Josh wants to know what's your biggest takeaway from what you've seen from the Jazz almost 20 games in the season. I mean, I think we are like kind of we are who we are. Like that's like not to sound like um, who was that? Was that Jim Mora? Like we are who we are, Dennis Green. But that's my biggest takeaway. I mean, I think um, we're we're talent deficient, which I think knew, we knew we talked about a lot on the show coming in. We just don't have a we don't have a top ten talent. We don't have a top twenty talent. We don't have a, we have one top fifty talent. Like that, most teams have more than that. Um, and then I do think the other take the two other takeaways so far that Keontae looks really really comfortable, which is awesome um, and great. And then the third takeaway has to be that of those kind of middle players who you wondered whether they might take a jump, Taylor and Colin and Jordan, um, and, and and be something that. John Collins, um, that hasn't happened on any of them. Simone is the only one who's really taken a jump, which is kind of great. So that would be my my takeaway on this. Um, I love this question. Will there be a midseason tournament in March? I thought it was such a huge success. I was trying to find a second one. I, that's the one where I think teams wouldn't play their players because they're getting ready for the, the offseason. Um, and maybe it's still too early, but your thoughts on the 2024 draft class, assuming we get a top 10 pick? No idea. But locked on big board, NBA big board is there for you. Um, great questions today. Points gained is next. Our first reveal of our exclusive NBA stat on points gained. I'll explain it and bring it for you next here on Locked on Jazz. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Its show is brought to you by our friends over at FanDuel. FanDuel is the official sports book of Locked on, and it's a great way to play and have a fabulous weekend and fun with everything. It's going on in the sports world. FanDuel's got a great offer for you. Here's the deal as a locked on listener that you get from FanDuel. If you right now are a new customer, you get $150 in bonus bets by winning any $5 money line bet. That money line is just pick the game. If your team wins, you get $150. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get into the action. The app is easy to use. Wide-ranging betting options, spreads, player props, over-under, all the rest. Go to FanDuel.com slash locked on to get your special deal. And all you have to do is pick a winner. You can go to college games, and I think Oregon's a mammoth favorite over Washington. Just go pick the fave. You do however you want to do. But in NFL this weekend, you've got a whole bunch of games taking place. The biggest line of the weekend. I always like to see what the biggest line is with Survivor Board. It's so fun. I believe it's nine and a half Miami over the Commanders on the road or Jacksonville eight and a half over Cincinnati at home. NBA games tonight. Philadelphia and Boston's a great one. Boston's a seven-point favorite in that one. Um, San Antonio, New Orleans. New Orleans is a 12 and a half point favorite. And Denver versus Phoenix. And we could have the conference finals tonight in a lot of ways that are the matchups tonight. So this should be a lot of fun to tune in and watch this game. It's all at FanDuel.com slash on. Thank you very much for making Locked On Jazz your first listen of the day. I super appreciate you being a part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team, every day. All right, let's do it. Let's see. We're actually going to try to screen share this year when we do this, if it's possible. You'll probably find all sorts of little funky things in my screen share for those of you who are on YouTube. Um, it is our first edition of the um, – of – are points gained. Points gained is a statistic that I've kept over the years 
And what it does is it charts those players, how they use an individual possession compared to the league average and how many points per game they are better than league average. The model here, so if you use 22 scoring opportunities a game and you're better than the league average, then you'll, for example, Steph Curry this year is using 22 scoring opportunities a game and Steph Curry is averaging, his points gained is 4.4. It's a huge number um, and it's the best in the NBA. And that means that Steph Curry is using four, scoring 4.4 points more than a collection of average NBA players would with those 22 scoring opportunities. If you want to go back and see how it works over the years, 2016-17 season, Kevin Durant was the best at 3.8, then Isaiah Thomas 3.4, and Harden at 3.9, at 2.9. Over the years, this is kind of the Steph Curry's amazing 17-18 season. It's one of the best of all time at 4.7 uh, was his um, was his number that year. It's one of the best we've ever seen. Um, woo, I just tried to zoom it in for you guys and destroyed it. Um, at four at uh, at 4.7. What we usually have is one player every year that's over four. It used to be two players over three and then about 10 players over two. So if you go to the 1920 season, James Harden was 3.3, Carl Anthony Towns 3.2, John Collins was 3.1, Dame was three and about six players over two. If you go to the 21-22 season, just to put it all in um, again, just trying to give you some sort of understanding of what we have here. You have the top player in the league was Nikola Jokic at 3.9, Gobert 3.2, Durant 3.2, Giannis 3.2, and then about eight players over two. Okay. Last year, the number one player in the NBA was Nikola Jokic 4.3, Durant 4.1, and B 3.7, Steph Curry 3.2, Dean Lillard 3.1 and about 10 players over two. So that's where we'll end up by the end of the season. Right now, your number one offense player in the league is Steph Curry at 4.4, Tyrese Halliburton at 3.8. Kevin Durant is using 24 scoring opportunities a night to be 3.2 points better than league average. Nikola Jokic, 3.0. Jalen Smith, what a fine for Indiana, 2.9. Shea Gilgis-Alexander, 2.9. LeBron is at 2.8. That is crazy. He is 40-plus years old, though he's not. He's 39. Uh, Giannis, 2.7. Jared Allen, 2.6. Chris Epps-Prazingis, 2.5. Nick Richards in Charlotte. Chet Holmgren is a rookie, 2.2. Mo Wagner, I loved Mo Wagner out of the draft. That's a late pick. Mark Williams, Charlotte, 2.3. Some of these guys haven't played much. Yaka Pirtle, Jalen Johnson, big injury for Atlanta. And Lucas at 2.0. Lowry's at 1.9. Let's flip this and see who the worst offensive players in the NBA are so far this year. He's having the most negative impact overall. And you always want to see hard down here. You got to see who's actually playing um, enough minutes to make it worthwhile uh, and gains so far. So Julius Randle is the most negatively impactful player in the NBA offensively right now, followed by Scoot Henderson and Cade Cunningham. Cade Cunningham's getting a little worrisome. Uh, this is the second year in a row that Cade Cunningham's been there. He didn't play much last year, but um, he's there. Gordon Hayward minus 2.6. Josh Giddey's not closing games for Oklahoma City anymore, and this is why. This is I've not been on the Josh Giddey train. He's a great passer. He does a lot of things, um, evidently. But this is a um, this is a disconcerting number for him. Wendell Carter in Orlando, who has been hurt. Taylor Horton Tucker minus 2.3. That's that is that is 
so in other words, Taylor Horton Tucker, this is the whole concept of our numbers, and we'll, and we'll look at Utah here. Other quick players, I'll do it in a second. Jordan Poole, minus 2.3. Uh, Shaden Sharp minus 2.3. Malcolm Brogdon earlier. Andrew Wiggins having a tough start this year. Nikola Vucevic in Chicago minus 2.1. Jordan minus 2.1. Russell minus 2. It's why Russell playing less. Charlotte uh, Clippers get better. Let's look at Utah only. The concept here that's really important is that negative offensive players are far more detrimental to the league, to teams than, than I think the league realizes. So what I'm really telling you right now is that for all the good that Lowry gives you, Jordan's inefficiency in his 22 so Lowry's using 19 scoring opportunities a game. Jordan in his 17 negate everything that Lowry does in his inefficiency. And then you add Taylor Horton. Tucker's minus 2.3, and now you're 25th in rank offensively. Keontae's a minus 1.3, which is fine. That's actually really good for a rookie. It's kind of where you're expecting to be. The number I think to watch on Keontae is this one right here, which is 9.5% of his free throw percentages or possessions of free throws. If that number stays high, that's, that's really good. Taylor with his body size should be much higher than 5.1. So for the Jazz, Lowry Markinen is 1.9. Kelly Olenek's a 1.5. Omer York Saban's a 0.5. Simone's a 0.4. Super good. John Collins is 0.3. Samanich is even. Ochai's even with his three-point shooting. Kessler's minus 0.2 or even. Collins minus 0.4. That's pretty good for a guard. 10.5% of his possessions are free throws. Really efficient. Dunn's minus 0.6. Keontae's minus 1.3. Jordan's minus 2.1. Taylor Horton Tucker's minus 2.3. Um, you know, what's a championship team? The concept of a championship team is that you have a team where all of the players are above average. So you have your superstars and then the rest are above average. So if you look at in Phoenix, I haven't looked at this yet, but Durant's 3.2 and Grayson's 1.4 and Devin Booker's 1.4. Their guy, Yusuf Nurkic in minus 0.4 is not great. Watanabe is a minus 2.5. Keita Beach Dopp is a minus 2.7. Jordan Goodwin's a minus 0.9. They'd like to not, but they can avoid playing those guys. Bradley Beal's been poor in his games. You assume he'll get better. But they have a chance. They can do this without playing Watanabe, which they easily can do, and do it without playing Bates Dopp, which they can easily do, and do it without playing Beal. Then they're a championship team. Because what happens is, even if you get the ball out of Durant and Booker's and Beal's hands, the next guy's using his possession at even. You'll just never catch Durant. The impact of Durant and Booker, you just never will. So they just need Bradley Beal to get even. Denver and Milwaukee are playing an interesting game this year. It's why they didn't come out that well for me on my preseason projections, is that Nikola Jokic is amazing at 3.0 and Michael Porter Jr. at 0.6. It's interesting that Aaron Aaron Gordon and <coughs> Jamal Murray are really having poor years. This is a prop. Like they, Those guys need to be even. But then all of their bench players are negative, and they have to play these every night. And this is, again, where team. I just don't think the league has quite figured out how negatively impactful negative players are. So if you take Zeke Engine at minus one and Peyton Watson at minus 0.3, now you're minus 0.4. And then Christian Braun at minus 0.5, you're now at one. And Julian Strather, you're now at minus 1.8. Well, you've now negated, and then you take Jamal Murray, who's evidently a negative this year. You've now negated Nikola Jokic's 3.0 completely with those four players. And you still have Aaron Gordon at negative. Whereas, you know, I bet if we look at Boston, are they a championship-level team? Peyton Pritchard's in minus 0.9. Drew Holiday has always been a little negative. Jalen Brown is minus 1.3. Those two have to correct themselves. If those guys correct themselves, they don't have another negative player on the floor. That's why they're so incredible right now. And I would guess the best offense in the history of the NBA right now, Indiana, doesn't have very many negative players on the floor. Milwaukee, let's look at. Milwaukee member came out six in the East for me. Because their negative players were going to be such a problem, 
They're actually not as bad as I would have thought, but Bobby Portis minus 0.6, Robin Lopez, Pat Connaughton, Chris Middleton minus 0.2, Chris Middleton. And so they're getting a lot out of Jay Crowder right now, which is really good for them. Um, and Cameron Payne is positive, which he isn't usually. And Malik Beasley is positive, which he isn't usually. So Milwaukee's getting a lot. Those guys come back to earth. Milwaukee could be – it could be a real hurt for Milwaukee here at some point. Maybe not. Maybe those guys will stay positive because they're playing off Giannis and Dame, and those are one of the few players that really change them. Um, Indiana here, um, the Tyree, Jalen Smith, Obi Toppin, all positive. Bruce Brown's about even. TJ McConnell's basically even at minus 0.2. And then Benedict Matherin is a negative, and he's the only one who plays. And we'll see how much he continues to play. He's playing less and less over time um, there for you. Uh, I would bet you Keontae's numbers are pretty darn good other than Casey Wallace. I would guess that's better than most other young guards um, in the list. So, again, the number one offensive player, Steph Curry, having a historic season, minus 4. plus 4.4, which gets awfully close to where he was at his peak. Tyrese Halliburton, 3.8. Durant, 3.2. That is Locked On Jazz. That is part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and that is our official exclusive stats there. Uh, that nobody else has. So I hope you enjoyed them. That is our show today. Hope you're great. Thank you very much. Have a wonderful weekend. We'll talk to you Saturday, Jazz Blazers. And we'll now direct you to the first ever 24-7 YouTube sports stream with our friends over at Locked On Sports Today. I hope you enjoy. Thank you very much for being a part of the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team every day.